You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Police take down the Avalanche cybercrime ring. A vulnerability in Android is reported. You can find the app in the Google Play Store. Russia says there's a plot afoot to hack its banks and spread financial panic. U.S. senators tell the White House they want to know more about Russian attempts to influence U.S. elections. This week has seen more Mirai DDoS, a resurgence of Shamoon, and another round of WikiLeaks doxing. There are also changes to NISPOM and Rule 41 in the U.S. And in the U.K., the Snoopers Charter receives royal assent. And what do pacemakers and e-cigarettes have in common? Malware. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary and weekend review for Friday, December 2nd, 2016. We're able to begin today with some good news. An international police operation involving the FBI, the UK's National Crime Agency, Germany's BND, Europol and others has taken down the Avalanche cyber fraud ring. Avalanche has been described as one of the largest crime-as-a-service networks in cyberspace. Active since 2009, it hosted not only money laundering operations, but some of the world's best-known and most dangerous malware. The names of the malicious code families will be familiar to many of you. Citadel, Drydex, Vaultrack, TeslaCrypt, PandaBanker, Crydex, and Game Over Zeus, to mention just a few of the strains available on Avalanche. Avalanche had long been resistant to takedown because of the fast-flux approach it employed, changing the IP address records associated with domain names roughly every five minutes. 39 servers are said to have been seized in coordinated raids, with another 221 taken offline. Hundreds of thousands of domains were also seized in an international sweep carried out in five countries Wednesday. Wired puts the tally north of 800,000. The U.S. Department of Justice reporting on the operation and the role the FBI played in it, especially the Pittsburgh office, said that some 40 countries were involved. At least five arrests have been reported so far, with other warrants still outstanding. The takedown is interesting and perhaps novel in that it concentrated on hitting leadership and key infrastructure as opposed to netting little fish and tinkering around the margins. In a statement to the Associated Press, Fernando Ruiz, head of operations at Europol's Cybercrime Center, put it this way, quote, we have arrested the top, the head of the snake. We are sure that this will have a very huge impact, End quote. The rest of the snake hasn't escaped attention either. German authorities identified 16 leadership-level players at Avalanche, and a German court in Fairden says to have issued seven arrest warrants. Avalanche had victims in a reported 180 countries. Observers see the success as a good sign that Avalanche is gone for good, although one must temper such optimism with recognition that we've seen criminal revenants before, and almost surely will again. As usual, the investigation and takedown proceeded with security industry support. Yesterday's raids were the culmination of four years of collaborative international police work. 
A new Android vulnerability surfaces inside Google Play's walled garden. Zimperium reports that for the past six months, the remote management app AirDroid has used a static, readily detected encryption key. Ars Technica compares it to leaving your house key under a doormat. Zimperium informed AirDroid of the vulnerability in May, and AirDroid has sought to address it, but with imperfect success. They're working on a comprehensive solution. Russian authorities say they've uncovered a plot by unnamed foreign intelligence services, but they're looking at you, Vice President Joe Biden, you spymaster you, to disrupt Russia's banking system with a mix of cyber attacks and information operations designed to foment financial panic. These statements have a certain symmetry with concerns expressed in the U.S. over Russian election hacking. On that election hacking, FireEye describes Russian intelligence services as having, quote, weaponized social media, end quote, and says those services no longer appear to care much about their activities going undetected. Several U.S. senators have asked the White House to reveal more of what they think the White House knows about Russian attempts to influence the election. Looking back at the week, observers continue to expect more Mirai botnet distributed denial of service. The biggest incident affected nearly a million customers of Deutsche Telekom last Sunday. It's since come to light that there were smaller but still significant disruptions in the U.K. Both TalkTalk and the British Post Office were hit with DDoS also on Sunday. About 100,000 U.K. customers were knocked offline. A Mirai IoT botnet has been implicated in both the German and British incidents, and in both cases the botmasters told affected customers they were sorry and meant no harm. The customers didn't get your apologies, dudes. They were offline. Go figure. Shamoon has returned to bedevil Saudi networks, destroying data in several sectors. Civil aviation is thought to be particularly affected by the Iranian malware. WikiLeaks docked the German BND over its relationship with the U.S. NSA. WikiLeaks also sustained a four-hour outage yesterday, and speculators speculate on a priori grounds that the incident was a retaliatory DDoS because, of course, that's what speculators do. On Wednesday, NISPOM Change 2 went into effect. NISPOM is the National Industrial Security Program. It required all federal contractors with a facility clearance, that is roughly a clearance to store and work with classified information, to self-certify that they have an insider threat management program in place. Such a program would address responsibility, training, and reporting. Insider threats, of course, can be malicious, careless, or even well-intentioned. Another example of an insider threat came to light this week in the Netherlands, where people noticed that documents relevant to Europol terror investigations were compromised by a careless police investigator. He took them home and exposed them to the Internet, where Shodan searches stumbled across them. The unnamed investigator is described variously as a rogue and not a rogue. It would seem likely that he belonged to that tribe of hard-working pack rats that's long been the despair of security officers. The week also saw the Snoopers Charter become law in the UK and in the US implementation of changes to Rule 41, which governs the scope of warrants to collect information online pursuant to criminal investigations. We'll hear more about this from Ben Yellen after the break. And finally, some notes about cybersecurity and your health. Researchers have shown that various pacemakers and implantable defibrillators, ICDs, are vulnerable to reverse engineering and hacking. Their proof-of-concept exploits showed that they could collect information about the patient in whom such a device was installed, as well as information about their treatment. 
It's also possible to go beyond such threats to privacy and drain the device's battery or send the device arbitrary commands. So perhaps you're thinking you can avoid these problems by adopting a more heart-healthy lifestyle. You've heard that smoking cigarettes could give you heart disease, and so you chuck your last pack of coffin nails and say to yourself, I'm going to get me some of those e-cigarettes I see at the convenience store. No luck, friend. The malware is going to get you even in the low-tar alternative. Wapak Lab says that people suspect some Chinese e-cigarette manufacturers are hard-coding the USB charging units that come with the high-tech butts with malware. So think twice before you plug that cigarette into your laptop's USB port. That nicotine buzz isn't worth a malware infestation. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Uh, ben, once again, this case with the FBI versus the uh, the people who ran the Playpen child pornography site, it's back in the news. There have been some new revelations about the extent of the FBI's hacking. Bring us up to date. So we found out in January at least a small part of the extent of this operation in which the FBI was trying to hack into computers to shut down this child pornography ring. We recently learned that the deployed malware was much more extensive than we originally thought. It's now known that the FBI obtained over 8,000 IP addresses, and they were actually able to hack computers in 120 different countries. The reason that this concerns some civil liberties advocates is that all of these searches were based on a warrant issued by one magistrate, one magistrate who generally would only control a relatively small geographical area. But in this case, this warrant has covered, obviously, uh, IP addresses both in the United States and around the world. And that actually invokes another problem that's been in the news recently, and that's so-called Rule 41 of the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure. The way Rule 41 operates is that it dictates the ground rules 
for electronic surveillance. And one of those ground rules is that magistrate judges cannot allow surveillance anywhere beyond their jurisdiction. Earlier this year, those rules were amended and those amendments were ratified by the U.S. Supreme Court. And now, uh, under Rule 41, a single magistrate judge can authorize electronic surveillance even if the surveillance itself is going to uh, implicate IP addresses beyond the geographical reach of that magistrate judge. This caused a bit of a political battle earlier this week in the United States Senate. A couple of senators tried to introduce a bill to delay implementation of this amended Rule 41. Uh, I know Senator Ron Wyden, who is one of the biggest civil liberties advocates in the Senate, uh, was behind this effort. Also, Christopher Coons of Delaware. They tried to get a bill passed by unanimous consent in the Senate. The Senate leadership had no interest in passing the bill. They objected uh, to the request, and the rule took effect as of December 1st. Obviously, this is something we're going to have to watch for going forward. Since the Supreme Court has ratified Rule 41, really the only remedy is going to be legislative. And it remains to be seen whether there's the political will uh, to, to undo the work that's been done to amend Rule 41. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on it. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. My guest today is John Dixon. He's a principal at Denim Group, a secure software development company, and consultancy on matters of software risk and security. John Dixon is a former U.S. Air Force officer serving in the Air Force Information Warfare Center and was a member of the Air Force Computer Emergency Response Team. In his role at Denim Group, he's close to policymakers at the state and federal level, and we wanted his take on what we might expect in terms of cybersecurity policy as we head towards a Trump presidency. He joined us from his office in San Antonio, Texas. What about um, you know his relationship with the Russians? Uh, there was much talk during the campaign that um, you know uh, President-elect Trump resisted uh, naming the Russians as being responsible for hacking, although he encouraged them to do so. Um, as as we move forward, and and he has to um, you know engage with agencies like NSA, like the FBI. Uh, how are those? Uh, how are those relationships, or, or, or even his his tone and attitude towards the Russians? How is that going to frame things for him? Well, I would pay a lot of money to be at that first meeting, uh, our first set of meetings in in Fort Meade. Uh, you know, interesting enough, these guys work for him now. These these agencies, these, these you know, thousands and thousands of professionals in the intelligence community now work for him, work for the in, you know the executive branch, and report to him. So now they're his asset. And uh, my sense is that there's probably some level of uh, mending of fences that should occur or probably has to occur. So he's going to have to trust uh, at least find advisors to trust, be it Admiral Rogers, be it somebody in the, in the DOD or DHS. Uh, and that's why I think the uh, appointments are so important. Uh, but, yeah, he definitely uh, was pr- pretty – pretty strongly came out uh, questioning the intelligence community. That's probably one of the first candidates that, that I can recall that's done that. And, you know, overtly encouraging the Russians to to hack us, that was probably more hyperbole than it was serious policy uh, in the context of the moment. So uh, we'll give him, a, give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt on that one, but we'll see. 
Is it fair for us to to expect you know expertise in, in the realm of cybersecurity? I mean, certainly, uh, you know, not everyone who has held the office of the president has been an expert in all of the areas that that were uh, under under their command. Or you know, I think there's this notion that as as long as people put uh, good people around them who do know these sorts of things um, and and then trust their advice, follow their advice, and, and good counsel, and we may just be okay. Um, but that's not the sense that I think people are feeling or describing as we come into a Trump presidency. Uh, certainly his um, his behavior during the campaign uh, doesn't doesn't give a lot of people hope. Do you, do you think that's a fair assessment? Uh, I, I think we're going to see. We'll find out. And, and what's happened since the election with the transition team uh, doesn't put those fears to rest. Um, but here's what I would say. He is going to have bigger policy issues to tackle. We've already talked about that. I mean, and he's going to have policy issues that come to him. I think if you read about what happens to any president in their first 100 days, they're typically tested by some type of foreign policy uh, crisis that wasn't on their radar screen. And it happened to Obama. It's happened to every president where they come in and say, my first 100 days, here's my script for my first 100 days. And then something happens in the Middle East, or the North Koreans do something, and it just not it sucks the cycles out of you. Uh, so I think that's that that'll be interesting to see, and that's why they have to rely, rely on experts because you want the public policy engines of state to continue onward in spite of those crises. So I I'll be very interested to see, given um, his. Uh, interaction with anonymous or the anonymous guys coming after him whether or not the activists are going to uh, do something whether or not he's going to be tested by the russians or the north koreans but one thing i would say i bet you he's probably the one of the smartest candidates on cybersecurity stuff given what he went through uh during the uh during the election cycle during the campaign i mean his properties were attacked the hotels were attacked his campaign headquarters was attacked. Obviously, the DNC and RNC were attacked. So he may be, along with his you know, former uh, competitor, probably the smartest candidates on cybersecurity ever, uh, I would suggest. There is a lot of policy underway at the executive branch level in DHS and in the DOD, and certainly a lot of proposed legislation in Congress. You've got smart guys uh, on both sides of the aisle and both houses uh, guys like Will Hurd, like Mike McCall from our from the our backyard, who know this stuff particularly well. So one interesting positive that's come out of all this is that maybe with the deadlock uh, no longer, you know, in the House and Senate between the two parties, maybe they can actually get some cybersecurity legislation through that helps move things forward. Uh, versus the last year or two, where neither party wanted to give each other a win. So I'm 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 hopeful. I got my fingers crossed that maybe we can move uh, the legislative uh, needle a bit above and beyond information sharing. Uh, the question is uh, on the legislative front: will, will, you know, will a senator or congressman uh, submit a bill that creates a separate agency or cabinet level uh, role for this type of function? That was something that got bandied about last year. So we'll see. But yes, on the executive side, uh, government will continue on doing what it does. That's John Dixon from Denim Group. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. 
Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K Cyberwire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes, and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.